Underdrug Podcast Network. I read something this morning uh, about a comet in the 1930s. It was in Finland. Knocked out. I all, actually knocked out all of the uh, the uh, cell tower. Yes, <laughs> in it did. Actually, it was in 1923, and yes, it was in Finland. It was actually crazy because it affected the people. They would. After it passed, they would get lost. They would end up in the wrong home. They would what? forget things. They wouldn't really know where they were. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading about this one woman who called the police and said, the man in my house is not my husband. Oh. And then the, the police came over and they said, this is your husband. She said, no, this is not my husband. I killed my husband yesterday. Awesome. That's how I know it's not him. Awesome. But they couldn't, they couldn't arrest her because he was standing right there in front of them. Do they have any theories of why? Lucky she, she gets to kill I, him again. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> really, she wants it's to kill this man. It's just the finish. <laughs> the fins. The fins. The The official podcast of HoboTrashCan.com. You can share your thoughts on the show anytime by emailing Joel at Murphy's Law at HoboTrashCan.com. Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio, and this week is a very special episode. Uh, as I announced on the site last week, we are trying to have a screening of the indie movie Coherence in Baltimore on October 23rd at the Landmark Harbor East. Uh, this is a very cool opportunity. This is an awesome film. Uh, you know, it's a sci-fi film that uh, is just, it's amazing. And anyone who's seen it, you're absolutely blown away by it. It's been doing really well at festivals. And uh, it's one of those movies, I don't want to tell you guys a ton about it uh, because it's sort of the experience of seeing it and letting it unfold. But um, just, it's it takes place, it's eight friends at a dinner party. Um, you know, there's sort of uh, a lot of sci-fi elements to it, but it's also a, a character story. And uh, it's just a really great film, and uh, it's a rare opportunity to see it on the big screen using this site called Gather, uh, which is a crowdsourcing site uh, that works like Kickstarter. And essentially, uh, you know, they worked out a deal with the Landmark Harbor East. If we pre-sell enough tickets um, within the next two weeks, then they will host the screening. And 
you know, that's the whole thing. Uh, Hobo Trash Can, we don't make anything off of this. It's just, uh, it's a way, you know, the, the guys who made Coherence, you know, it's supporting them. And it's just working out a deal between them and the Landmark Harbor East to, you know, hold a local screening, which is a really cool opportunity. And uh, so to sort of help promote this and to help get the word out, you know, I reached out to some of the people uh, from the film. Uh, so this week's episode, we're actually going to be talking to the co-writer and director of the film, James Ward Burkett. And uh, we're also going to be talking to one of the stars, Maury Sterling, who you also might have seen. He plays Max on Homeland, and he's uh, been in a ton of other stuff. You know, they were both incredibly gracious to take the time to talk to me, to help promote their screening to all of you. So... You know, I hope you enjoy this episode and please, you know, go on to Hobo Trash Can, get the information, you know, buy some tickets through Gather, spread the word, tell everyone you can. You know, this is an awesome opportunity uh, to see a great movie on the big screen and to support, you know, smaller films. And so, you know, I hope you all help get the word out. I I really think this is uh, something awesome and I really think you're going to enjoy both of these interviews. So without further ado, here is James Ward Burkett. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for reaching out. And then uh, you're, you're trying to get a screening, right? Yeah, trying to do one in Baltimore at the uh, end of October. That's fantastic. Is How is it going so far? They're very difficult just from personal experience, but how, how is it going? Uh, it's been kind of slow so far. Um, I, yeah. I've been, like, it's been, I think, like three days and... Uh, I've been promoting it pretty heavily and just trying to get the word out, but I think we sold maybe like 10 tickets so far, so it's definitely slow to start out. But Yeah, we found it's the kind of thing where people, it's because it's a new idea, people think, oh, I'll wait till the last minute or I'll see how it goes, and, they, and only with like a personal sort of prodding do they go, oh, I, I need to buy it today. Yeah, I've had friends that have done that. <laughs> like, you know, when I was telling people about the idea and then I was, you know, I followed up with them and I'm like, you said you were going to buy a ticket. And they're like, oh, yeah, I got time though, right? And I'm like, yeah, but, <laughs> you know. It, it, that's the main thing we found is that people simply, they don't act right away because they're not used to the concept. So only, this is just the tip that I've learned, only if you personally, like, say, by the end of today, you're going to buy the ticket. And I'm going to check in on you. <laughs> you have to, you know, give them a direct order. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to do some more of that to to boost it a little more, and then uh, see how that goes. But yeah, it mostly, and I am a lot of it so far is kind of just explaining to people what it is and what's happening. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, let me uh, let's backtrack a little bit. I, I wanted to just, you know, simple question first to, to start out. Like, how did you get into directing? I've always um, I've always thought of myself as a director, even as a kid. I didn't know I was that was the title, but uh, you know I was the the kid who would draw stories and, and illustrate them, and then get his friends to act out scenes and and put together shows and just you know the do it yourself uh, factory, you know and and. I would, uh, I was, you know, like any kid, I was really into Star Wars when I was really little and would draw my own stories and get my friends again to sort of be the characters and making models and stealing video cameras and stuff like that. So it was just sort of a natural, um, 
expression of of the ideas I had in my head. I loved to draw and I loved movies, and so I, I just uh, didn't even know it. I did, but I was everything I did was sort of preparing me to to be a director. And how did coherence uh, begin to take shape? Like, where did the idea come from, and how did you begin to to build towards that? Well, I was coming off of working on Rango for years and years. I, I wrote Rango with Gore Verbinski and, and John Logan, and I was drawing and sort of uh, heading the storyboard department and working on that film for for so long where, where every pixel of the frame was discussed and planned and, and really this level of detail that is so freakish and fun at the same time. But by the end of Rango, I was really craving getting back to, uh, you know, being 10 years old with my friends and making <laughs> my own movie. So that was not planned and, and not, um, well, I shouldn't say not planned. It was, it was planned for a year, but not, uh, not so controlled, not every detail of every, every frame so specifically designed where it allowed for spontaneity and allowed for uh, improv and allowed for having to create on the fly. Yeah, I, I think that's what's fascinating about the, the movie. It's what struck me because when I watched it first, I didn't realize, you know, I hadn't read up as much on it, so I didn't know about the improv aspect. And it's it's a very tight story. And then when you find out that all of the actors were improvising lines and stuff, it, it makes it even more impressive. Was that difficult to kind of find that balance? It's just something I've always wanted to do. I've been fascinated by the different strengths of, on the one hand, having a vision and forcing the final product to look like your vision, which can be very powerful. But on the other hand, allowing for complete uh, serendipity and, and accidents and, and dealing with spontaneous problems and making the best of that. So for many years I've thought, isn't there a way to combine both of those things into one thing? And so the experiment for me was, what if I took a year and really planned it, really knew the story I wanted to tell, and, and to the point of having clues and puzzles and, and puzzles within puzzles and, and clues within clues and, and really understanding it inside out. So much so that I could let the specific wording of it and the specific actions of the characters be completely up to them. And and think of it like a fun house where if I build the fun house and I know where the doors are and I know what the surprises are, the actors don't have to know the blueprint of the fun house to be led through the fun house. You know, they're going to make it in a very specific path that I planned for them. But the reactions to the to the things that happen in the funhouse are all theirs and their own strategies and their own um, very real responses. And so that was the thrill of making coherence. That, that's, you know, we in the middle of it, we knew we were doing something unprecedented and, and it, uh, it really felt like this had never been attempted uh, on this scale ever before. 
And what was it like on set? Like, so you, like you said, you had the, the overall idea. So what, how did you prepare the actors and how did you kind of guide them or, or sort of, you know, did you have to rein them in if they skewed a, a way that didn't fit the character or how did you just sort of approach the day to day? I would usually let them run with something for a while, even if I felt at the moment it was not what I wanted because I learned early on not to crush their instincts. If, if they've got an instinct to do something, let it let it go, let it play out. See if I can subtly guide them back toward where I need it to go. You know, without without um, saying no to, to what they're doing, they would definitely come somewhat prepared for the night, just in terms of their backstory. I would give them each a note. I'd email them a note card that said what state of mind they were going to be in that night. They So they knew all about their character and their character's history. They just didn't know what was going to happen to them. They didn't know the future. Uh, so it was just like life, you know. We all know where we've come from and where we are right now. We just don't know what's going to happen the rest of the day. So that's um, that was the theory, and it worked great. You know, only once in a while would I have to sort of steer them back to something, and I'd say, okay, keep the cameras rolling, Everybody stay in character, but we're just going to rewind 45 seconds. And this time, instead of going to the kitchen, go ahead and respond to that thing at the door or something like that. And they would just kind of backtrack a little bit, make a subtle change, and then be right back uh, back on track. So how much of what we see is the, the first take? Probably... 80%. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's impressive. So, yeah, for the most part, you, you got what you wanted the, the first time out? Yeah. I mean, what you're not seeing is hours and hours and hours and hours of other routes that they've gone down. You know, they they did a lot more than what you see in the 90 minutes of the movie. And so sometimes we would... Um, you know, go go for an hour exploring something, and then in the edit, we'd only take four shots of that particular road and incorporate it into the edit. So you're seeing a a hybrid of a lot of things that happened that night. And how was it for you? I mean, you had this idea and, and you executed it. Was it what you thought it was going to be? Was it harder? Was it easier? Were there unexpected challenges that came up? Yeah, that's a great question. It, um, I knew it was going to work because we did a test night of, of a dinner table uh, experiment with mostly the same cast, and that just went so great. So I was really confident about going in. And then uh, the very first night of shooting, a year later, it really did not go well, mostly because I was too insistent on it matching a vision that I had. And the actors were nervous, and they they didn't quite understand that they didn't have to generate the story. They, they thought they needed to generate the story. They didn't understand that they were on a roller coaster ride that was going to happen to them. And so the first night was awful. And the second night got a lot better because I let it go. I said, I can't decide 
where someone's going to stand or what, what the timing of a joke is going to be or anything like that. I just have to allow them to be completely real and respond in the moment and trust that I've thought the story through well enough that it's going to be great no matter what they do. And then they started relaxing because they realized, oh, they don't have the pressure of having to think of a story. They only have to be real. They only have to be their character responding to these things. So everybody relaxed the second night, and then the third night got even better, and then by the fourth and fifth night, it was just a dream because we found the rhythm to it, and it was glorious. And how did you assemble this cast? Like, how did you uh, pick all the people for it? Those were just friends that I knew I could call up that would trust me if I said, look, there's no script. <laughs> you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to wing it. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to kill anybody. Um, but Alex Manugian and I, Alex co-wrote the story with me and Alex plays a mirror in the film. He and I for, you know, weeks and uh, months would sort of pull out photographs of friends that we knew and put them next to each other and just kind of cast it out of our own knowledge of people and say, does that seem like a couple? Do they seem like best friends? So most of the cast did not know each other and we just had to, you know, trust that our instincts of who would be a good improviser and, and who would work well together um, would actually work out. And it did. I was, I was mostly proud of, of, picking the right cast, to be honest. I think that was probably the number one uh, key to success for the whole thing. Were there any relationships or subplots that sort of cropped up from their improv that you didn't expect or any, you know, kind of storylines? Oh, that... yeah. Oh, oh all, all that stuff. Yeah. The, the inner dynamics and, and how people are responding to each other and all of that, I saw on the moment, you know, who seemed to be connecting with each other and who needed some more teams together. Like the way that Nicholas Brendan's character was so different than I had originally thought. And so we really did a, a turn on him and, and sort of incorporated that very strong character in different ways and had to add a scene of him and his wife on, on the floor of the kitchen, kind of having a very, um, poignant moment together. Yeah, for sure. We, we constantly adjusting based on what the actors were giving me. All right. So you, you shoot this thing, you, you get all the footage and then what is it like taking that and then trying to edit it down into the movie? Nightmare. <laughs> Total nightmare. I did the first edit myself for a couple months. Um, and I showed it to my editor, Lance, Pereira, who, who, you know, is my favorite editor. I think he's a, he's a genius. And he looked at it, and it's like two and a half hours long or something, you know, this complete mess. And he looked at it and goes, hmm, okay. What if it, what if it's shot on a boat? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, basically saying, none of this is usable. None of this is, what none of what your little experiment here is going to work. So, I got I got him over to my house and he started getting into the footage. And within the first day, though, you know, he made such vast improvements. Then he started getting really excited and he said, "Oh, this is going to work. This is totally going to work." And then, how long was it to to kind of whittle it down into the final product? 
It was another couple months with Lance getting the first draft of it together, and then we had holes in the in the edit, you know, missing an insert here, missing a a shot here, someone's face, or missing a shot. You know, I wasn't happy with some of the exterior shots. Um, as you know, the the, the 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 movie's really shaky, and I, I don't like shaky cam. That was only a result of because we had it was improvised. You know, we, we wanted to keep it as real as possible. So the shaky cam was not a stylistic choice. It was just a, uh, a result of, of a very honest way of, of making the film. So we, so we picked some shots to redo and some inserts to get and some of the outside stuff to get. So we had a reshoot of, you know, I don't know, five or 10 minutes worth of the film. And then once it was finished, uh, what was it like, uh, you know, taking the film out and kind of bringing it to festivals and starting to do the screenings? Amazing. You know, we we didn't know if we had a real movie because up until that point, it just feels like you made a YouTube video. <laughs> you shoot something in your living room with your friends. Well, that's not a movie. That's, you know, that's a YouTube video. So we showed it to some people, again, in my living room and said, what do you think? You know. And they just, the response was so much greater than anything we could hope for. So we were fairly confident, but then the first time we showed it to the public was at Fantastic Fest. And that was just a dream come true. That was suddenly just this tidal wave of support. And we were completely embraced by that crowd. And that's the crowd that you want, you know, more than any other festival, more than Sundance, more than Toronto. Fantastic Fest is an audience of people that know movies inside and out. And they're really uh, judgmental <laughs> in a good way. And so if they like your stuff, you know, you're in. And that was just uh, a dream come true. And nothing else quite compared to Fantastic Fest. We went, we went to a lot of fun festivals after that. Features uh, in Spain and, and a lot of uh, domestic festivals they were all great. Just meeting the audience, to be honest, was a new, an idea that I wasn't expecting how fun that would be to talk to the audience afterwards and, and to see the ones, to see the viewers that were really captivated by it and they just wanted to talk about it. <laughs> uh, well, what's great too, I think, about the film and this thing that you've created is you, you definitely made a movie that as soon as you watch it, you want to watch it again and you really want to like break down the little details and start figuring it out. So what has it been like to, to have people do that? Have you had people coming up to you and kind of like with theories or with things they've noticed or like the little like details that you've embedded in the scenes? Yeah, exactly. And that was always the goal. Alex and I, set out to make a movie that you'd want to watch over and over. And, and basically the whole concept is what if a film looked like it was thrown together, but really the secret is every single detail has meaning and every single detail has some kind of thematic resonance or, or is part of the, the puzzle or part of the secret or part of the story. We said, wouldn't that be fun? Because then every time you watch it, even if you watch it 12 or 15 times, you're going to get something new out of it. That's the whole concept of the movie. And so once people actually started doing that, <laughs> and, it, and it worked, you know, people really did uh, start to clue in that this is something that will keep revealing itself the more and more you watch it. 
it was just this feeling of utter uh, satisfaction and and just so so grateful that people take the time to look at it that way. And are there things that people still haven't picked up on? Are there little details that you're kind of waiting for someone to to have noticed and no one's really seen yet? Yeah, sure. Probably, um, I think, to be honest, people have only mentioned probably 10 or 20% of the things that that we intentionally planted. Like, just a couple weeks ago, somebody finally noticed something. It took over a year of showing it around. Somebody noticed that Emily is parallel parking in the very first scene. And nobody had noticed that before, the whole concept of the, you know, a parallel. And and uh, even that little detail was part of it. So, yeah, we, we keep um, we keep being uh, delighted when people find little things like that. And uh, so how, you know, talk to me a little bit about the, the gather thing. Like, how did you guys become associated with that? And what, you know, what was the hope with uh, teaming up with gather? Uh, I don't have much of an exciting story about that. They just, they reached out to Oscilloscope, I think, and Oscilloscope is our distributor. And they said, let's, let's try this. <laughs> I thought that's an incredible idea. Let's try it. Uh, well, as I mentioned to you, sort of the, the reason I reached out to you is I, I'm trying to do one of these screenings in Baltimore. Um, since I do have you on the line, can you just, uh, you know, tell people a little bit, of, if they're not familiar with the film, like, you know, what what are they going to get out of seeing it live or, or what is, you know, you know, because I've seen it on demand, but I, I'm very excited about the idea of seeing it in a theater. Yeah, I mean... The gather concept is amazing. It's it's a little like Kickstarter where you just crowdsource it uh, uh, beforehand so that it's paid for and you know that the screening is actually going to happen because enough people have already signed up to buy a ticket and you just have to tip a screening by getting enough people, whether that's 50 people or 100 people. It depends on the theater. But it empowers everybody around the country. If you live in the middle of Kansas and you never get cool movies, as long as there's a movie theater near you, you could bring coherence to your town if you get enough friends to go online and, and pre-order a ticket. So, incredible idea. I think it's going to get more and more popular. It's, it's taking a while right now just because people have not uh, completely understood the concept. It's still new, but I think it's going to get more and more common. And the experience is great because it's not just you alone in your living room watching the movie. You're in a movie theater the way it was supposed to be seen with the great sound and the big picture and just that sense of community. This is a film to watch with other people because you're going to notice things that other people don't. They're going to notice things that you don't. The ripple effect in the theater, you know, cluing you into something amazing that's happening that you might have not known. You just hear people start to gasp or something people start to laugh or people start to get nervous. Uh, that's the way to watch the movie. I feel bad for, you know, all the people that reviewed the movie that just sat alone watching it on a little screen because they missed probably 95% of the movie that way. They're just not interacting with it enough. And this movie of all movies really needs interaction. Well, uh, just the last thing I have for you, you mentioned that before uh, Coherence, you did Rango, which was this sort of big movie where you you know had to worry about every little detail on the screen. And then you sort of responded to that by doing Coherence, which was, you know, more of a, a sandbox kind of free flowing movie. So what what is next? Like, what do you want to do? You know, what 
would now? Yeah, I mean, right now, everybody says, well, why don't you make Coherence again? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm just writing uh, some more projects. I, you know, I had such a good time, I want to direct another film. I would like it to be a little bigger this time. I don't want to shoot it in my living room. I'll probably take uh, some of the lessons that, that worked really well, you know, getting the actors to be collaborators and on a level that's not normal in films today. Uh, you know, directors usually approach films saying, I don't want input from the actors. I want to tell the actors what they're going to do. And I really found that opening it up to allowing them to, to be part of the creative process is just gives you so much more than, uh, than the other way. So, you know, I'd love to stay in the science fiction genre for a while just because the audience was so strong for coherence and I'd love to uh, make something for those guys again. All right. Well, uh, you know, thanks so much for doing this. Like, like I said, I love the film. I, I think it's brilliant and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and, uh, you know, it's been a blast. Thanks, Joel. That's fantastic to hear. I'm really, really thrilled that you're doing this. I hope, I hope it's great. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm actually, uh, I should be talking to uh, Maury Sterling a little bit later today. So... Awesome. Maury's great. Yeah, you two were he both... Was the, he was the, the key to this whole thing. He was the key to the whole thing? Yeah, just knowing that I had someone like more, you know, looked like a leading man that I could just call up and say, hey, come over to my house next week. And like, if I wouldn't have had Maury, what, what would I have done? You know, it would have, it would have imploded. Yeah, is there anything specific I should ask him about or anything I should uh, mention? Uh, ask, I don't know. Ask him what it was like not knowing. What what was happening? Because Maury was not a big improver. He he was a guy that uh, you know was used to really preparing for characters. Um, so yeah, drill him, drill him on that. <laughs> Will do. Yeah, you you both were were very gracious to uh, you know you saw the the tweets that I was putting out and responded. So I, I really appreciate that. He's great. He's such a generous guy and he's super talented. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about Maury. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Well, that was director James Ward Burkett. And now we have one of the stars of the film, Maury Sterling. And I hope you enjoy it. First of all, uh, let me just start by asking, uh, how'd you get into acting? The story I used to tell was I was getting into too much trouble after school. I think it was partially true when I was about seven or eight. And, uh, I remember it being baseball season, and I didn't want to play baseball, and I needed to do something, and I kept watching, walking by the theater, seeing kids, like, you know, running around in costumes, and some part of me was like, I want to do that. So I started doing plays when I was a kid, and um, I just kept doing it through, you know, sort of community theater up through high school, and then college was sort of the big decision when I decided to go the UCLA and do the theater program there instead of going to Stanford. And that was, that was sort of the big moment of, I'm going to take this seriously. And what was it like from there? Like once you made that decision, uh, was the, the path pretty clear? Clear-ish. I mean, it's such a weird, subjective, strange journey. Um, and uh, I found it so important. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it, I, I, think, I, I think that was definitely a market transition to like, I, I'm going to do this, whatever that means. Um, I, 
theater UCLA program was great. I got to do lots of theater um, and work with the acting teachers there, Mel Shapiro, Tom Moore. Um, and, uh, and met a really good group of, of sort of colleagues and friends. And when we graduated, we started a, a theater company called Buffalo Night Theater Company, and we got our nonprofit status. And for about 11 years, we, we hung in there with each other doing shows. And that, that gave me a sort of a path that kept me grounded as I totally tripped over myself as to what it meant to learn how to audition in the real world. And there wasn't a lot in college that prepared me. It was still a pretty bumpy entry into the professional world of agents, managers, and auditioning and learning how to be myself in that, in that world. When do you think you, when do you think you did get comfortable? Now, (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's been a long, it's been a long time. And I actually do kind of feel like it's been a, it's been a slow ride for me and that's all right. Um, but it's, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, I've been studying martial arts for a while, and my teacher always says, you know, it's not about learning, it's about unlearning. And I think it's been a lot about unlearning, of getting back to sort of where I started and being a kid and learning how to, I guess I judge it, it all sounds so cheesy, but learning to play again and have a good time and be in that creative space and the courage it takes to kind of, to, to keep that up and maintain that spirit in the face of rejection. And, you know, it's so hard because you come at it and you want to, you want to, you want to get the part. So you think you want to do all this stuff to be what you think they want. And that's a guessing game instead of really committing sort of to your own deal and, and, and hanging in there with that. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but. What, uh, what has it been like being on Homeland to have that, uh, reoccurring character to, to kind of have? It's been great. It's been a real, it's been a really great place to be. It's such a amazing collection of talent. Um, and it's, you know, my character's pretty quiet. So it's actually, he's a, he's a listener and an observer. And from an acting point of view, it's been great because I think that character, Max, is pretty earnest. He, he tells the truth. Um, and even though he's kind of quirky and uh, he's a little in his own world, I, I like him because, and the, and the writers have been wonderful in terms of, keeping a voice for him of, of he, he, I think he sort of says it like it is from his point of view. So it's really freeing. And even though he doesn't do much, um, I guess my experience on the show has mirrored my character a little bit of just observing a lot. Um, it's an incredibly talented group of people, um, actors, writers, producers, creators. Um, so it's raised my own bar, I think in terms of, uh, what's out there and, and kind of worlds you can be in. Um, you know, it's, so it's really been, it's really been a privilege and a treat. Would it, did they have, um, any talks with you? Like, did they kind of give you an indication, uh, that you would be around or what they had planned for you? Or was it you just sort of waiting to see how the character I, would be used? Waiting to see. Yeah. Much more waiting to see how the character would be used. Um, it's been, you know, it, it's been fun that, that, uh, I, I, Especially, you know, how the show ended last year, last season. I had no idea if if Max or Virgil would show up in in this new season, and 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 I have, which has been really unexpected and a and a, a treat. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's been a lot of just hanging in there with it and seeing when he's going to show up or not. Um, I don't think 
the good news is so far, and I'll probably jinx myself, Mac, it hasn't really mattered if Mac, it's a dangerous show. You never know if you're going to make it through the next episode. So, um, so far I've stayed alive. Yeah, you, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, you do kind of have the perfect character because you're in the world, but you're sort of low stakes in that world. I'm in the world, but I but I don't think it matters if I die. Yes, right. So I'm never quite like yeah. For story purposes, Max is dead. I don't know. This they, year, maybe this is the first year I've been like, no, it, it could mean something now. <laughs> if they start building up that relationship with him and his brother, you you start getting concerned at that point. Yeah, like you, gotta be, you gotta be careful. <laughs> you gotta be careful what you ask for in this one. If you ask for too much, <laughs> eh, now we can take you out. Uh, well, um, I, I wanted to ask you too. How did you come to know uh, James Ward Burkett? Like, how did you guys know each other? James, James, uh, Jim, and I met. Um, when we first met, his sister was in a play that my theater company did years ago called, I think it was Madman and the Nun. And so that's how I met the Burkett family first. But then also a friend of ours, mutual friend in Jessica Kazansky, the incredibly talented theater director here in L.A., well, all over now. I think she and Jim like lived in the same building, so maybe there was a crossover there. I really got to know him. Because I think maybe Jessica referred me. I might felt foggy a little bit for a film he did called Fractalus, which is this really smart, beautiful sci-fi short. I mean, it's probably twenty twenty-five minutes long. Um, it's this really neat piece he did, and and that's when we first sort of got really. I, I auditioned for him and that, and got the part, and um, and uh, that's that's how we sort of really first got to know each other. And how did he approach you for coherence? Like, what was that discussion like? He called up, and Joel, I gotta say, I'm, I'm so excited that you're loving coherence, and I'm thrilled that you're trying to put this screening together. It's really been cool to see people get turned on by the movie. Um, oh yeah, it, trust so, me, it yeah, blew it, me away, it, it, like, seeing it. it uh, it's, and it's one of those things, like, I, I had someone kind of recommend it to me, and I watched it on demand, and then instantly became obsessed with it, and was like, I, I have I, to try to have cool. a screening. Well, great. Um, and, and we love the, the sort of grassroots support that it's kind of engendering is, is great. And if there is anything I can do to help, let me know. Uh, with this, um, <laughs> this definitely yeah, is helping. Well, yeah, okay, cool. Um, what was the question? The question was, oh, how, he called me up and he said, uh, hey, man, I'm getting together, you know, eight actor friends. We're going to do this kind of improv thing. And um, would you be interested in doing it? <laughs> and <laughs> I should have I should have known better because Jim is so smart and his writing partner Alex they're both they're really creative and really intelligent about how they approach their creativity which I really enjoy it's such a it's so great to work in that environment um, but my first response was are you kidding me eight actors doing improv I feel I like I just was like this is going to be a disaster I think that just speaks more of my own fear of improv um, than the actual experience uh, and I should have known better but it was a phone call. He said, hey, you know, I'm going to get eight actors together. We're going to shoot it at my house. We're going to see how much we can get away with nothing. Um, are you interested? And I was like, yes, anything for you, Jim. Um, so that's that's kind of how it all started. It, like, it really was anything for him. And, and, of course, I'll be there and let's see, see where it goes. 
Yeah, that was uh, when I mentioned to him that I was talking to you today. That was the one thing that he said was that you, uh, out of the cast, like you were not a big improviser coming in. That that was definitely something that was not one of your strengths. Or big... it's, it's not. It's not something I think of as a strength. It's one of the ones that, I'm, and I'm probably being overly critical of. It's just you know, it's just fear, um, and and it's it's such a powerful. It's one of those things as an actor you probably don't want to admit anywhere public, um, but it's. It's uh, it's such a great skill to have. Um, I'm better at it than I think I am, um, and and meaning which I also discovered in the process working with Jim is that we had so much fun doing this. Um, so. Well, that was the the crazy thing to me, and this is a credit to all of you guys. When I watched the movie the first time, I hadn't read much up on it, so I didn't know it was improvised. And when I found that out, it kind of blew my mind that this because it has such a tight story and it's you know so it intricate. Well, and let's be, it is they what what why it ended up being so fantastic, and why I say I should have known better having worked with James before was that he's very specific. He's very smart about how he approaches his work. Totally got a game plan. So we got there with some information. We knew a little bit about the characters. We knew sort of the relationships between the characters. He'd given a few of us a monologue, a story, that at one point we would tell, but we didn't know when or in what context. Um, But to say it was all improv is a little not fair because he and Alex had created... We came ready to go, but there was a very real world that they had created that we were going to, sort of a house of horrors kind of thing, of of a spine they created that we bumped into. So many of our reactions, what was really exciting about it was a lot of our reactions are totally organic because things started happening that we didn't know were coming. So it wasn't just actors saying, hey, go for it and make this up. There was a very, very crafted um, uh, spine to the story uh, that we were then reacting to. So it kind of really kept us in real time. It gave us, I think, as actors, a real chance to do... It did a lot of the work for us of, of giving us something really real to respond to. Um, and that's, that's what was so, so fun. Do you remember what you were told about the character or what your kind of initial information was that you were given? I, I, you know, Kevin was a, a sort of journalistic reporter out in the world, adventuresome type, um, had a past, but it kind of is now settled down with Emily's character and, and was really in love with her. But part of the, the, you know, the struggle that they were facing, the sort of fracture in their relationship was he's inviting her to go on this trip and she's kind of got cold feet and he's wanting to live a little more and include her in that and she's a little resistant and it's sort of this moment of you know, there's just enough insecurity for that rift in their relationship to crack open and for her character to go wait, is this the guy I want to be with and all this kind of stuff um, definitely between sort of you know, who, who the who the relationships of friends were what the, what the history between Kevin and Mike and um, the old, old, you know, college relationships there, familiarity. Um, so I knew a little bit. And did you know Emily before this, or how familiar were you with the other people in the cast? I, Nick, Brendan, and I have known each other for years, so it was fun to see him there, which was fun. Um, and he's a powerhouse to work with. 
Um, I'm trying to think who else I knew. I met Hugo before, but didn't know him really well. I'd seen his work and, and knew of his work. Um, familiar faces, but I think that's... Alex and I knew each other. I didn't know Emily. I didn't, hadn't met Lauren before. Um, who am I forgetting? I think that's it. So I'd seen faces before, but, but hadn't. Nick is the only person I'd, I'd, I'd really known for a while. And what, what was just the, the overall experience like for you? I, I know uh, when I asked uh, James about it, he kind of mentioned that the first night, at least for him, was a little difficult to kind of, you know, just relax a bit and, and let you guys play and kind of get comfortable. And then he, he kind of felt it was yeah. smooth sailing from there. But was that how you I, found it? or? I, 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 yeah, and that's always, you know, there's every new job um, – is you're kind of adjusting in that way. It was, it was a, it was a little bumpy, always kind of finding our, our fits and starts, um, and letting the energy kind of settle and get that flow. Um, but most of my memory of it was really exciting. I remember leaving going, that was really exhilarating. Um, it was fun. There's a lot of fun. It was, one, it was one of the greatest creative experiences I've ever had. Uh, well, one of the other really fun things about the movie is there's a lot of, uh, like little, I guess, Easter eggs or, or subtle things kind of woven in there that, you know, the repeated viewings kind of reveal different things. Uh, how much yeah. of that, I mean, I'm guessing you weren't aware of much of it while filming, but like, have you, is that something you've done is kind of gone back and watched it and tried to pick up on stuff? Or have you discovered things about the movie, you know, having totally. made it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I'm trying to remember the last thing we saw up in San Jose. This is one of the things I saw there. The, is it the flower? There's the, um, Lizzie has that thing in the kitchen. Is it the flower vase? I think there were little details of, I think it's the flower vase, right? That she and, uh, Lorenzo Cafaria's character talk about. Yes. Yeah. Um, little things like that. I totally missed the first couple of viewings, um, of the placement of them and the repetition and, and the themes of, wait, I still have like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. Moments. Um, of trying to track who's coming and going and who's left. And, and so it, it, it's been, it's, it's, it, again, I'm just, I hat off to Alex and James for Jim, I just keep switching back and forth, for <laughs> writing something that's got, that is so layered. Yeah, I, I'm sort of, I want someone to come out with like a, you know, a thesis or like some kind of just overall, you know, Bible yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Here's the viewer's guide to coherence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, uh, James said something. He he estimated like only twenty percent of the the stuff they kind of hid in there has even been found at this point. I I believe it, and I I I believe it. I mean, in being that I've watched it, you know, I just get so self absorbed in my own bull crap that it's when you start watching it again, you go, oh my god! I mean, oh look at that! Oh look at that! Even things in my own. What was another like? Even in my own. There's another Emily Kevin moment where I got more of her story in this last one too, of tracking where I was, where she was, what she was seeing, what I, and I can't, I'm not describing it well other than to say there's still moments where Jim and Alex were tracking it and, and getting it, but it's still more layered than I thought it was. And, I which I think was, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to ask just in general, like the, the surprises on filming, like how much of the, the story itself surprised you, like actually making it and just, you know, how unexpected was it to sort of find out where you, you guys were headed? There, 
I don't want to do spoiler alerts for before you screen it, but there were a couple. Well, between you and me, there's the um, if this is answering your question, there's the knock on the door that comes from the outside at some point. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Pardon my French, but I shat my pants. I mean, <laughs> that, that we had no idea. <laughs> and, and 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 this is where I give like Jim set it up so perfectly because he's got that moment where Lizzie goes over to the door and says, that's the door to nowhere. And this to me is a sign of a great filmmaker. Like he, he crap, he set us up for that moment. He created fear in that corner. We didn't even realize it. And I get goosebumps even talking about it. And that is, like, that's like the, said, go ahead. Oh, that's just, that is the moment too. I think where the film kind of turns to like where you yeah. sort of are getting a sense yeah. of what you're headed toward. Like, up until that point, as actors, we were like, all right, this is cool. We're just going along with it. There's this comet. There's weird stuff going on. We didn't know what the other actors were going to say. So so there's the story of when Hugo talks about his brother, you know, at at, at, JP, at JPL. Um, you know, when Emily tells a story about the, the comet flying over Siberia. Like, that was all new information for us. So we're really listening for information. You know, they, they created a great experience as actors because because we don't know what's happening. So it means you're really dialed in to listening for clues. Like it it helps the performance because we're really going. Wait, what are you saying? What am I supposed to know here? Say that again. I didn't get what you were saying. What does that mean? Well, it means this, and and so it creates a great environment, I think, for performance. Um, but yeah, when that that door. I mean, we, he created the, the scariness there. That's the door to nowhere. The lights had gone out by that point. So weird things are already starting to happen. That we're like, okay, what? And then that happened. I mean, we, it's the, one of the hardest parts was recreating the, the authenticity of that moment later when we went back to do reshoots. Because we all knew how real that reaction was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine, uh, you know, and I think uh, the James estimated something like 80% of uh, the footage in the movie is pretty much the first take. But yeah, how, how tough were the, yeah. reshirts, the reshoots to do to kind of recapture that? The, they, they were, they, you know, Jim would sometimes give us a note. He'd be like, okay, that wasn't like the original, you know, go back to the original, try and remember what that was. I, again, Joel, like, I had a really good time doing this. Because of the way we shot it, it was really fluid to stop and start. So it, it, it didn't give us a lot of time to think in terms of getting too actory about it and getting in my head about it. Like, oh, wait, was that? Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not achieving what I achieved and blah, blah, blah. It was like, okay, go back to here, start it again. Okay, do that one more time. Okay, cool. Jump here, do this. Okay, great. So it all stayed very fluid. Um, I think, the, I think the headache was on James. Because he had to remember, what am I missing? What do I not have? What connectors do I need? You know, where do I not have a shot that bridges from here to here? Uh, remembering where all the bodies were standing. He had some pretty intense storyboards of just for continuity as close, as close as possible. Like where people were standing in different pickups and things like that. The beauty of the film is I think if there are continuity flaws, it doesn't really matter because you're living in such a world of time travel and shift. It actually makes it even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is a good point. You can always just go, yeah, no, that's, you know, you know, comment overhead. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, like it, there's a forgiving nature of the film. Like if people aren't quite in the same place, it actually adds, I don't think it takes the audience out of the reality of what's going on, but it adds this idea of, yeah, everything's a little off. What are you actually seeing? Things are moving. They're not all in the same place at the same time. So do you think from this experience, um, is improvisation something you want to do more of? Like, did you kind of discover that maybe yeah. this... You know, whether I go, like, take a class at, at my old age, that's silly. Um, <laughs> it's definitely something I've, I've, I feel like I'm having. I feel, I do, I feel a little cheesy. I feel like I'm, I feel like it's been, it was a neat experience about what, about a new appreciation for the craft of acting and what it means to kind of be in a moment, however you get there, you know, and being fluid and open to the moment and really forgiving, you know, in that humans are weird creatures who do weird things and trip over themselves all the time and don't get it right um, in their effort to all look like they are getting it right. You know, we, we were disasters, and that's what makes for fun, drama, comedy, whatever. Um so it, it, it was a good eye opener and trying to go with the flow and be in the moment and just go with it, you know, just go with it. Uh, well, I feel and like sometimes. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just gonna say I feel like this next question might be a setup, but um, <laughs> James told me to ask you about the horse trailer in front of the house, and I have no idea what that means. But <laughs> so uh, that's funny. So, but I don't remember what night of shooting it was. Here we are shooting our cool little movie. And up the street, this low-budget, tiny, two-camera, all-contained, natural lighting, basically, or, you know, a couple, not natural lighting, but minimal, minimal equipment and crew. And up the street, they're shooting, I think it, I, I want to say it was for Snickers, but I don't know, some massive commercial. And it's the middle of the night. There are extras walking up and down the street. They are, it's a Halloween theme, I think. So everybody's in costumes and all of a sudden pulls up. And I love horses. This trailer filled with like three black, I think they were Percheron, big, beautiful, or Arabs, I think. I remember horses. So all night long, it, I mean, there were horses parading up and down the street. I, I, I'm thinking that must be the story he was talking about. <laughs> um, so here we were doing our little thing and there's this, you know, this massive production going on up the street. <laughs> yeah. That, at that point you just want to like recruit some of them to I see if that, they, yeah, you do. You sort of want to somehow incorporate them. I feel like that was a disappointing, I feel like the setup was better than my, I should have made something up better than that. Like, yeah, you had free range. I, I mean, yeah, he just, was. yeah, all he gave range. me was, I think I failed. Yeah, he, he just was like... It goes back to my fear of improv. You gave him... That was a great setup, but it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's when you just... You're not ready for the horse trailer. You don't... You don't know, like, yeah, like, dude, when a dude said to you, like, tell me about the horse trailer, you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that was after hours, the horse trailer. You know, it was, it was between me and James. We don't really want to talk about it. You know, it was just a, it was a beautiful private moment, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that I'm finding is a good, can be a very effective response in improv. Is, you know, everyone says always say yes. You can always say no. No, I'm not going to shut it down. Just be the destroyer. Just be the destroyer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all... <laughs> uh, I, know supposed, I, I know I'm supposed to say yes here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Uh, well, um, as you know, like, as we said, uh, I'm, you know, trying to organize the screening in Baltimore. Uh, and so hopefully we're going to get a lot of people who haven't seen the movie who, 
um, you know, are kind of getting intrigued by it. What would you say to them, uh, like, to kind of sell them on this movie? Why do they want to see it on a big screen? Oh, man. Um, it's a thrill ride. Uh, come see something smart. Come see something smart that'll make you think. And, uh, but, yeah, I think it's come see something smart yeah. and, and inspiring. I think, but I think that's the, that's the thing for me that's really been, is been really neat about this. Is it's a, it's a, it's a thinking person's movie, but not, but not heady in a way. I think it, 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 it bridges the two. You have a total experience watching it, but it'll, it'll, it, it's got some real intelligence behind it. And, and I, I just think that's so cool. Yeah, I think you're right because it's it's sort of it is a very much a character story, um, you know, and it's uh-huh. and it's very much about your characters, you know, in the relationships. But then it sort of has this sci-fi world that it takes place and then uses that to yeah. then tell still an emotional story. Yeah, yeah, and genuine like people genuinely. The great part of it as the actor was. We were, as the audience is there as doing it, we were too. We're very much the audience of the film in a way too of, we were genuinely trying to figure out what was going on. You know, we were, we had information enough, but we were actually with each other going, wait a second. Help me. And we had help in sort of prompting here and there, like ask about this. But a lot of the experience was really genuinely trying to figure out what was, what was happening. Yeah, and it's it is seriously. I, if I haven't said this enough, it is such a great movie, and it's like I think the whole thing is just really cool, and I think you guys made something really special. Yeah, well, cool. Uh, I guess we could say if you if you don't come for the sci-fi smarts, come for Nikki Brendan. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And he, like, I love and his character. I love his character in it too, because it's it sort of, I mean, you obviously know him, but it, it seems like he's kind of doing a, either a riff on himself or sort of a nod to his, you know. No, it, yeah, I think it was, I think it was a great self-effacing, fun, you know, play with himself. And I think it, I think it creates a great, very honest, you know, performance too. So, and Emily's fantastic. I think she does just a knockdown job. Everybody does a great job, but she really, uh, well, cool. What what else is on the horizon for you? Is there anything else uh, coming up? Um, I just I'm I'm working on Homeland right now, so I've been commuting back and forth to South Africa, which is just the sort of crazy, fantastic, you know, gift of the trade that happens every once in a while. Um, it's really been incredible to get to do that and be there and see that country. And my wife's got to come out for a couple of weeks, which is cool. Um, and I wrap I, right before that. I wrapped up Extant for CBS. Um, so waiting to hear on 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 what's going on with that, um, which was also really it's been a great. I got married in May, so it's been a really full year. Um, what's coming next? Don't know. Waiting to hear on Extant to see if that gets picked up or not, um, and wrap up Homeland probably in the next couple months, and then see what next year holds. So cool and wait 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 for James to do his next project. <laughs> uh, and well, congrats on getting married too. That's awesome. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Joel, and uh, and uh, thanks. You know, thanks again. I'm glad you love the film, and and um, thanks for having me on and all that stuff. Thank you so much for listening. You know, thank you to Maury Sterling, James Ward Burgett. Uh, I hope you enjoyed 
this chat. And again, I'm just going to take one last opportunity. Please go to the site, buy a ticket, uh, tell everyone you can, you know, spread the word, post it on Facebook and Twitter and everything you can. Uh, we really, we have about two weeks to pre-sell these tickets and I really think this is an awesome, uh, chance. So I hope you'll all support it. And remember kids, don't do drugs or you go to hell before you die. Treat it right and keep it strong. I'm a transistor of love. Someone's got to break the chain of hate and forgive. Gotta shift your brain away from insane Ignorance splits against the face of distress I'm not gonna let this whole ship burn to the ground It can change our way every day With emotional feelings on parade Keep it in my mind so strong That not each day will be as easy as the last one I'll keep doing what I'm doing Cause I love to feel this way when I keep myself in the state, I open up a million opportunities. I got a thousand faces, I keep each one especially for you. But when the weather hits me, I sometimes can pull through. Then a fool came along and tried to make it all go wrong. But I will not change my faces. Change my faces for you. You can't stop what I create. I'll never give my focus to hate. All of this, of which I cannot see, will only just empower me. Don't they say what you do not know? There's countless reasons not to do anything, and none of them. By my side is gonna bring the positive side to life I got a thousand faces I keep each one especially for you For when the weather hits me I sometimes can pull through And then a fool came along And tried to make it all go wrong But I will not change my faces I will not change my faces you. All of our biggest problems are all made in our heads. Keep it out, keep on concentrating. It doesn't really exist. Ignoring the things that make you sad. Ignoring the things that you don't have. Just keep one thought in your head. Any amount of black can brighten up darkness. Can brighten up darkness Can brighten up darkness Can brighten up darkness I got a thousand faces I keep each one especially for you But when the weather hits me I sometimes can pull through And then a fool came along Try to make it all go wrong But I will not change my face 